Today's reading is Colossians 3, 1 through 17. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And in whatever you do, whether it in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I feel like I'm stuck in life. I feel like I change for a little while only to go back into old patterns. I'm afraid my life will never be different. If you've ever said that to yourself or you've voiced that to someone else, you're not alone. Anyone who's honest would probably have to say that they've struggled to really see significant change in a specific area of their life, to see lasting change in their life. If in doubt, just go around Long Beach to yard sales on Saturday morning and look at the amount of exercise equipment that's out there. (laughs) We have great intentions as human beings, but it's really hard to, to stick with it, to stay with something, to really see lasting change. And if you've been trying to follow Jesus or you're considering following Jesus, and I want to talk to you today about experiencing real change in life. And this is especially relevant as we continue our conversation about moving into the Jesus weird quadrant. And I want to put the image that we've been using for the past few weeks. And if, for those who are new to Grace, we've been having a church-wide conversation about what it means to step into our identity as salt and light. 
And that salt and light comes from Jesus naming us as, naming his followers as salt and light in Matthew chapter 5. And in naming his followers as salt and light, Jesus is picking up on the storyline that begins in way back in Genesis 12 with God saying that he's going to bless the world by calling a people to himself. And he begins that with his call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. But now as Jesus frames these words on the Sermon on the Mount, this people that God is calling out to bless the world is now a people made up of Jew and Gentile who find their identity in Jesus. So now this blessing that's going to come to the world is going to come through people who are gathered around Jesus. And they are now going to be the people who go out and bring life to the world as people experience the life of Jesus and as they're restored to right relationship to God. That's the narrative that we find in the scripture. So as we've been talking about being light, our lives are to be marked, are to be lived in relationship to people so they can see Jesus in us. But at the same time, our lives are to be distinctive so that they can see Jesus in us. And that's the salt part. So as salt and light, as we've been saying, Jesus wants our lives to be marked by high connection, but also by high distinction as well. And we've named this the Jesus weird quadrant up there on the right, as opposed to the religious weird. And I've been developing that, so you can go back and listen to the podcast. But when we talk about Jesus weird, the reason why we named it as Jesus weird is because your friends have all kinds of people that they can hang out with, they can eat and drink with, they can have beer and brownies with. Your friends have all kinds of people like that, but it's very likely that your friends have very few people who can show them what Jesus is like. And that's what it means to step into this Jesus weird quadrant, is to, is to accept the identity that we've been given by Jesus to be salt and light, to be people who show other people what Jesus is life, like and bring that life to them. And I'm also suggesting to you that our next chapter as a church involves moving into this quadrant of Jesus weird, being a, a community that is marked by high connection and high distinction. So I'm not suggesting to you that this is just information that I'm passing on to you to fill up 30 minutes of time. I'm suggesting to you that I sense that God is wanting to take us somewhere, that he's moving us somewhere as a community. So I'm speaking to us as a community on behalf of God, on behalf of what he wants to do in our midst. And last week I suggested that a key component of being Jesus weird is that you live out of a specific story. And of course, it's a story revealed in the Bible, and it's not limited to simply forgiveness of sin and going to heaven when you die. And I gave a graph, uh, uh, image to you last week that illustrated the difference between the full story and the half story. The story that comes to us in Scripture is the full story that begins at creation. And yes, it involves humanity's rebellion against, against God, and we call that the fall, but it, then it involves redemption, it involves restoration. And when you, when you engage in the whole story, then you're not just limited to the past, namely forgiveness of sin, or the future, going to heaven when you die, but you, you're left with something in the present, and that is this robust picture of what God is wanting to do in the world, and how he's wanting to engage us as his partners in that, in that task of, of redemption and reconciliation. And so that story, to live out of that story, addresses our lives now in the present. It doesn't just deal with our past and deal with our future, but it deals with our present as well. And so to take it a little bit further, to be, 
Jesus Weird involves living out of a specific story that can create real change in the present. Being Jesus Weird involves living out of a specific story that can create real change in the present. And this is what makes us distinctive. This is what can make us distinctive as followers of Jesus. And that is that we experience real change that Jesus brings to our lives. We experience real change that Jesus brings to our lives. And, and this change is about becoming more fully human, more fully alive. Because of the life that Jesus gives. It's not about becoming more spiritual and thus removed from this world or removed from life as it is. But it's about becoming more fully human. When we say, when we look at some area of our life that is broken or some, some area that it, you know, where we hurt others or we injure others and we say, but I'm only human, that's not true. That is to be subhuman. We were not intended to live that way. We were intended to live in the way that Jesus has shown us, which is a way of life that brings life to others, that is fully human, is fully alive to the life that Jesus wants to give. And this is also the distinctive hope that we have, we have to offer to others, that we have tasted of what it means to be fully human and fully alive, and we are offering that to other people. We are offering that hope to them, and it's found in this story. So how does this story, this specific story that I introduced last week, create real change? Well, I'd like to invite you to turn to the text read to us today. It's written by a man. It's Colossians, if you have a Bible. If you don't, the one underneath you, it's page 984. Uh, Colossians is a letter written by a man who experienced significant change in his life. Here's a man who persecuted Christians. And he goes from persecuting Christians to being someone who is willing to suffer for associating with the name of Jesus. That's significant. So his own, his own life is, is, a, is a, he's a poster boy or a poster child for change. For the change that Jesus can bring into a person's life. And so when he's writing this, we need to listen with that kind of framework that here is someone who is talking about something that he himself has experienced. And what does he tell us about change in this letter? Well, now that you have your Bibles open, he says in Colossians 3.1... And my ESV reads, if then, it should really be since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul is saying that change is grounded in what God has done for us. Change is grounded in what God has done for us. Notice the order in verse 1. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, he begins by saying, here's what's happened to you. This is what's true of you. And he says, since you have been raised with Christ, well, that should get our attention. What does Jesus' resurrection signal? If we're tied somehow to Jesus' resurrection, then what does his resurrection signal? It signals the defeat of death and the defeat of the power of evil. So to embrace Jesus, to allow Jesus to call the shots in our life, and that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is to be so closely identified with Jesus that his death and resurrection becomes yours. It becomes ours. And this becomes the foundation for real change. It is that we have experienced, we have, we have become identified with Jesus' resurrection. His resurrection is ours. His resurrection is yours. 
So change happens as we recognize that Jesus has overcome everything that overwhelms us. We've been raised with him to reign in life. And that means we can begin to overcome everything that overwhelms us. And here's the equation. A little mathematics there, if you remember that. Jesus is greater than. Jesus is greater than. That's the equation, I think, that Paul is getting at here in Colossians. And this becomes the foundation for really embracing the magnitude of what he's saying here in Colossians 3, verse 1. Jesus is greater than. Look at back at uh, chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. And this is where you pick up this equation of Jesus is greater than. Colossians 1, verse 15 Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul is, cannot contain himself with the, the words he's trying to convey about who Jesus is and he's saying that Jesus is greater than everything. Jesus is superior. Jesus is preeminent. He is above all things. He's greater than everything. And now, when you turn over to Colossians 3, verse 1, Paul is saying this. Since Jesus is greater than everything, Colossians 1, and you've been raised with him, Colossians 3, then he's greater than anything that might keep you stuck in life. Jesus is greater than anything that might keep you stuck in life. Jesus is greater than anything that might hold you back from living into the fullness of life that he offers to us. Is your fear great? Jesus is greater. Is your addiction great? Jesus is greater. Because you've been raised with Jesus, Paul is saying his victory is yours. His victory is yours. The things that keep you stuck, the things that hold you back don't have to rule over you any longer. You don't have to act that way. You don't have to react that way. You don't have to be that kind of person. Now about this time, as I'm looking into your eyes, perhaps you're thinking to yourself, but that's who I am. I'll never change. Or perhaps you're saying, I've always been that way as far back as I can remember. And Paul says, that was the old you. That was the old you. But now you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. And you say, I know, but I keep going back to my old ways. I keep going back to my old patterns. Why shouldn't I expect a relapse? As someone who has wrestled with this type of thing in my own life, of this back and forth and 
struggling with this whole issue that I'm describing to you. There's a turning point in my life, and that turning point for me was when I realized I needed to choose between two defining questions. The first was this, was I going to place my trust in my ability, in my effort, in my willpower, in my performance? Or was I going to place my trust in what God has done for me in Jesus? That was a defining moment for me. Where was I going to place my trust? You see, all of us live out of some storyline. Will yours be, I'm always someone who falls back into old patterns? Or will yours be, I'm someone who's been raised with Christ? Well, how do you make that shift to live into this new storyline, into this new reality? And you might be saying, well, yeah, okay, so how do you do this? Well, look at, again, what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above, Paul is saying. In other words, begin to journey beyond what your story has been. Begin to journey beyond what your story has been because there's another story that's at work. There's another reality besides just the reality that you experience. See, conversion takes us out of the narrowness of our own little stories and our own little lives, and and God changes us by bringing us into the largeness of his story. We already heard it read in chapter 1, verse 20. He's reconciling all things to himself. When he raises us with Christ, he brings us into that story of his reconciliation, and he takes us out of our failure, and he takes us into a future that is all about what he's doing in the world. So do we have a part to play? Yes. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He says, seek. Seek. Now listen to me carefully. Changing your focus of attention leads to a changed life. Changing your focus of attention leads to a changed life. Because when you focus on something in life, you tend to move toward it. I have a distinct memory of, of learning to ride a bike as a child. I remember, you know, my dad being behind me, and you're wondering, when is he going to let go of the seat so that you're on your own? And then you begin to realize, oh, no, I am on my own. And you're going down the sidewalk. I remember I have distinct memories of going down the sidewalk and thinking, oh, no, I can't wreck. I can't wreck. I can't wreck. And then I saw a tree that was near the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, I can't hit that tree. I can't hit that tree. I can't hit that tree. And the more, the closer that tree came to me, the more it became a reality that I was going to hit that tree as I stared at that tree. I remember hitting that tree, just boom, and just, you know, how the bike just kind of slow motion goes over. I have distinct memory. Again, illustrating that, that what you're looking at in life, what you focus your attention on in life, you tend to move toward in life. And it's natural to assume that the way to change your life is to focus on what's broken and try to fix it. Listen to me carefully. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's some bad habit, it's natural for us to assume that the way to change your life is to focus on some problem, on what's broken, and try to fix it. Now, granted, it's certainly not good to ignore it. But if you end up only focusing on the problem, you end up moving toward it.
And it becomes what defines you, what determines your destiny, and what determines your identity. If you focus on trying to fix yourself, then you end up focusing on yourself. If that becomes your great occupation in life, is fixing yourself, then you will focus on yourself. And you'll get stuck on yourself. See, your life and mine will move into alignment with whatever is getting the focus of our attention. And that's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. In other words, set your minds on Jesus' completed work on your behalf, on what he's done for you. Set your mind on his declaration on the cross where he says, it is finished. Set your minds on the fact that those words say that you can never do anything more to make God more pleased with you. Set your mind on Jesus. Fix your attention on his character, on his story, on his compelling way of living. And what happens when you do that? Your trust, your confidence in Jesus begins to grow. We recognize that Jesus is for us, that we belong to him, that we share in his life. Look at again at verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. He's saying your story is not the same old story. You might have a story of incredible brokenness, but when you come to Jesus, the old you dies. God has raised you with Jesus. You now share in his life. All things are new. It's not just a continuation of the old life with a kind of a, a religious dusting of powdered sugar or sprinkled over the top to just sweeten it up a little bit, to make you a little bit more nice. He's saying the old life is gone. It is over. It's done. G-O-N-E, gone. Yes? It is. See, God changes us not by getting us to do more. And I think that's what many people fear is up in that Jesus weird quadrant. If I move in there, God is going to ask me for more. He's going to make me do more. I'm going to have a whole list of things that I have to do. No, that is not how God changes us. He doesn't change us by getting us to do more. He changes us by getting us to recognize what he's already done for us in Christ. He's already done it all. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Say that with me. Jesus is enough. All right? One more time. Jesus is enough. I guarantee you, if you started your day and the first thing you said in the morning was, Jesus is enough. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do anything to make God smile at you. You don't have to make God like you. Jesus is enough. And not only is Jesus enough, the reason why you know Jesus is enough is because you have been raised with Jesus. The old you has died. And you're being invited to live into the fullness of life that Jesus offers to us. That's what the scripture tells us. Now I want to be honest. As I was preparing this this week, I really struggled. I had this moment where I went like, no, you can't say that stuff. 
that's, that can't be that real, that true, or that good. You need to qualify it. You need to bring out the positive and then, and then tuck in the reality of it really can't be that good. We all know that. And I really wrestled with that this week. And along with that was the, the notion, isn't there something I'm supposed to do? Because we, we tend to just, I mean, that's what being American is all about. You don't get anything without working hard for it. So what am I supposed to do? Isn't there something I'm supposed to do? And, and the answer is yes, is to live out of who you are in Christ. Live out of what God has done for you in Christ. Become and practice what you are in Christ. Live out of your new identity. Live out of the new reality of sharing in the life of Christ. Live in the story of Jesus. Live in the favor of Jesus. Live in the power of Jesus. Live in the Father's love that he has for his Son and now by extension for you. He loves you with the love that he has for his Son. And he says to his Son, what? With you I am well pleased. Do you believe that God says that over you? I hope I could convince you a little bit today. <laughs> I think if, if that grasped us, we would be unleashed on Long Beach with the power of the Spirit. I really do. I think one of the biggest things that keeps us back is that we don't think God is really too happy with us. And because we don't live in that assurance of love, we can't go out and, and love others with that abundant, overflowing love. And yet, ultimately, that's what Jesus wants. That's what it means to be distinctive. It's to love people with the life that we have tasted of. And so as we do that, as we live into that identity, then notice in verse 5 of chapter 3 that the habits and practices of the old life diminish and then in verses 12 and following, the habits and practices of the new life grow. You see, before he ever says put off and put on, he says this is who you are. The reason why I can look at the past and I can say I don't have to live that way is because I have the life of Jesus. And I wish I had more time. I can talk to you about my own experience of how moving toward Jesus and toward the fullness of life he offers makes sin uninteresting. See, rather than trying to beat down temptation and deal with sin and eradicate sin, instead of looking and focusing on the problem, when you turn and you focus on Jesus, he becomes more compelling than messing around with that for a little while that you know ultimately won't provide any satisfaction long term. And that has become transformative for me. If I do choose to do that, I know I'm only getting a little small burst of self-centered satisfaction. Jesus offers me far more. I said I wasn't going to talk about it. I just did. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but Jesus is compelling. And the more compelling he becomes to you, the more so many of the things that hold us back begin to diminish. Why? Because we experience the transforming power of his life. If you've never experienced that and your whole view of Christianity has been trying harder and trying to pull yourself up and get yourself in line, you're missing out on the life and the power of Jesus that he offers. You've been raised with Christ. You share in his life. So you see how this is part of being Jesus weird? We talk about Jesus weird being, being connected to people, 
while also being distinctive and looking like Jesus. And when we live out of this new reality and as we live out of this identity, our lives give evidence of Jesus' presence. Our lives, lives give evidence of Jesus' activity. Our lives give evidence of Jesus' transforming power. And the beauty of it is that the more you become aware of Jesus and he becomes more compelling, then the more people end up noticing that there's something different about you and they go, I want whatever it is that you have. There's something deeply compelling about your life. And then they end up pointing out things and you know it's Jesus. It's not because you've done something for your life and let me tell you the 20 steps and the 20 years it's taken me to get here, but rather it's Jesus that is transforming you. And then you talk about, oh yes, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who can make these changes. He's done it for me. He can do it for you as well. And that then makes that whole quadrant of being distinctive such a compelling way of living because it's about allowing the life of Jesus to just flow out of me, embracing the change that he wants to make in my life, not being afraid of it, and allowing it to spill out on other people and the conversations and the interactions that I, that we have with other people. I want to thank you for your, the engagement that I've sent so far in this little journey God is beginning to take us on. And it's, been, it's been delightful to, have, to hear the, the, just the great conversations we're having here as a community. And I'd love to continue uh, the conversation today about this or the other uh, talks that I've given. I'll be in Seca afterwards and uh, would love to have a, a conversation with you if you'd like to, to do that. Join us and we'll sit around some tables and, and chat further about this. Uh, let's, let's ask the Lord to, to do what he wants to do again, all right? Now that you've heard that, maybe you'll change the way that you address him in asking him to meet us today. Father, I, I want to pray against uh, the enemy's desire to speak lies right now into the minds and hearts of people who are sitting here who would say that this is not true of them, they are the one exception in the room. And I ask that you would defeat those lies and that you, Jesus, would overwhelm that person with your smile, with your love, with your embrace, and with your grace. Even right now, I pray that you would surround them and you would, they would feel your arms reaching around them and embracing them and holding them and loving them and telling them that they are yours. And I ask that you would release us from whatever prison we might be in that perhaps we have kept ourselves in because we have not seen how you've come to set the prisoner free. That in your resurrection, the captives have been released. We praise you, Lord Jesus. The victory is yours. You are supreme over all. You are Lord. Amen.